that picture. So good. If you're a guest this morning and you just heard that we're talking about generosity, you're thinking to yourself, why did I come to church? You came to church to see a keyboard fall. That's what you came to church for right there. Can I tell you something that's really funny about that moment and the fact that it happened at that moment? So we, the band rehearses on Sunday mornings early, and then we kind of run through the whole service, all the cues and everything. And that like moment like is an important moment. We're like, this is a pastoral prayer moment. We want everybody to be present. We're excited about what's happening. Our student leaders have been so adaptive throughout this last six months, and, and we're students moving. And we, we, we went over that moment twice, like just to try and make sure that it flowed really well together. And God was like, Ryan, relax. It doesn't matter. People are either with you or they're not. I thought that was funny. And it is good that we're talking about giving and courageous generosity because we're going to need to buy a new keyboard. <laughs> and it's summer giving, so I don't know, you know, the acoustic set moving forward. So it's good. Um, so listen, uh, I do want to just say this right now. We are talking about giving and generosity. I've been here at Crossroads for about two and a half years, and uh, I want to say... I've like specifically done a message on giving and tithing and generosity. Like this is number two. <laughs> so uh, we really don't talk about this, but it's an important. It's a part of our transformation. It's a part of us becoming more like Jesus, who was the ultimate giver. And so that's what we're talking about. But before we do that, can I tread into some scary waters for just a moment? How many of y'all watched the news this week? Okay. So can I, I, I think that it's important that I acknowledge and I just say a couple things that some of you may find wonderful and some of you may find not wonderful. I don't know, but uh, I am not, just so you know, as your pastor, I'm not a legislative anti-abortionist pastor. Uh, that's not who I am. And so I want to just pause. I was, I was at a birthday party uh, this past Friday and somebody came to me and said, you know, can I just talk to you for a second about this? overturning of Roe versus Wade. And they said, where is God in all of this? This woman, she was just heartbroken and scared and seeing a lot of stuff out there on the internet from people who were following Jesus that were, was very unsympathetic and harsh. And she just said, where's God in all of that? I thought that was a really fair question. And what I said to her, I don't know if it's good or if it's true. I think it's true, but I said, well, I, I think when I look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was always with the brokenhearted. Like, if you want to find Jesus, you go to the brokenhearted. You go to those who are afraid. You go to those that religion oppresses, and it's there you will encounter Jesus. And this Jesus who walked the streets of Galilee, this Jesus who died at the hands of imperial power, uh, that spirit of Jesus that is alive today in our world, I still believe, is not found in political power or legal power. It stand, that, that spirit, that presence, that transformative work is always with the marginalized and the oppressed. And so I think for us as a church, I think for followers of Jesus, the appropriate thing in this moment is to honor the complexity of, of abortion, to honor the complexity of the oppression of women in our culture, in our history, in our world, uh, and to 
be with those who are heartbroken in this moment. I think that's really important. And so uh, if, you're, if we're friends on Facebook or any kind of social media, one thing you won't see me doing or I think our church doing is posting Bible verses um, that continue to oppress or hurt or produce pain. But we stand uh, with those who are heartbroken right now and who are hurting right now um, and who are scared. Uh, millions and millions and millions of women who women's health and all types of other issues that, that start to feel very fragile in this moment. And so that's the kind of church I, I think we are. Um, and so I recognize the complexity of this topic. I, I do. Um, I recognize that it's a painful choice. I recognize it's a reality. I recognize that the call I think of a Jesus follower is to be present in the midst of such complexity and not a polarizing space. If we sound like CNN, if we sound like Fox, uh, we don't sound like Jesus. And so to those of you that are sitting here today um, in a space of heartbrokenness, of fear of the future, uh, I just want you to know that as your pastor, I, I recognize that and I honor that and want to be present with you in that. And so I'd like for us to just take a moment, if we could, and pray uh, together, uh, if that would be all right. Uh, I'm not even quite sure how to pray. I know God is not an American. <laughs> right? I'm pretty confident of that. Um, and so I just think it's worth us praying for a sense of peace and wisdom, and that we as a church would be a space of love, that we as a church would be a space of grace, and that we would honor um, the wisdom that God has given to all of us in our life, regardless of the choices that we make, uh, that we can be present uh, and walk with people through difficult times. So let's pray together. Lord, um, I don't know. Honestly, God, sometimes I just hear the rhetoric that comes out of the Christian church and it makes me want to quit the whole thing if I'm just being real honest. Just doesn't seem and sound like the Jesus that I've studied and given my life to. And I'm thankful for our church that seeks to represent, I think, a more Christ-like way, a more Christ-like understanding of Scripture. And so we stand with those who are heartbroken, filled with pain and filled with fear from the events in our nation this past week. Pray, God, that you would make us loving, that you would continue to call us to be a space of grace, to keep our hearts and minds open, that we would listen, that we would ask questions. God, I pray that as we encounter folks that might think or see differently, help us to, help us to be mercy, help us to be grace, Lord, and help us to be okay with complexity and nuance. Bring us to a space that somehow recognizes the gray areas of life and the complexities as we seek and navigate to be in your kingdom of love and light in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so I'm happy if anybody ever wants to have a broader conversation about that. Happy to do that. I think it's more of a conversation than a sermon, though, because it's really easy to take a sermon and twist it and use it for whatever we want to. All right? Okay? It has nothing to do with the topic of the message, but I don't know how you exist as a church and not honor these moments that happen in our culture. So um, what are we going to talk about today? What should we talk about? What do you want to talk about? We could throw this whole, I mean, we could throw this whole giving thing out, right? Receive the offering counted. If you do well enough, we'll just talk about something else. 
So, hey, listen, if you are a guest or if we've never been able to have coffee, uh, my cell phone number's right there in the program. I would love to do that. I'd love to meet with you if you've been around for a while and we've never gotten a chance to chat and hear one another's stories. I think it's important that you know me and that I know you at some level. Um, I think it's important that you recognize I'm just a normal human being who stands on a place that's three feet higher than you on Sunday mornings. That's that's it, right? And so um, I, I look around and I think it's really cool. I've gotten to do that with a lot of folks. And so I'd love to do that more. I, I, I tend to have this ability to, um, I don't know how to say this. I have this ability to say something that can be challenging or that can maybe be outside of what you've maybe normally heard in church. And that can sometimes push and I, I hope it pulls us together. I hope we can be a space for those kinds of conversations. So we're talking about generosity, courageous generosity last week. If you weren't able to um, give a half your weekend to listen to that message, uh, feel free to uh, plan a good two, three hours to go back and listen to that one. Um, so we, every week we do like right, wrong, missing, confusing about the ministry week. And like we celebrate stuff and we go, how can we get better? And, and the message, uh, one of our staff members said, the message goes in the right column. But it also goes in the wrong, missing, and confusing column, right? Because it was so long. So uh, I, I trimmed it this week, hopefully. We'll see. But uh, So last week, we introduced this topic. And we asked this question. We looked at this funny image. Did Jesus live the hashtag blessed life? Do we have that image there? Like, I don't know if you all saw this or not last week. But like, is this, does this picture of Jesus make sense? Like this wearing the kind of like hashtag blessed t-shirt. Does Jesus' life reflect what we think of when we hear the word, oh, blessed, I'm just so blessed, right? This guy who was speaking for the marginalized, this guy who believed he was on a mission from God, this guy who believed that the imperial powers of the world could not stop love, this guy who led a nonviolent resistance against Rome and gave his life for it. Does he really fit the Western hashtag blessed movement? We kind of talked a little bit about that. And, and where we landed last week as we talked about this idea of a blessed life, we said that the blessed life is a generous life. If you're a fill-in kind of person, that's your first fill-in there at the top of your page. That really a blessed life is not about a life that is one that receives, but it's a life that is generous towards others in the world, right? And then we talked about this Christian tradition, the principle of tithing, of giving 10%. Everybody gasps, oh my goodness, right? Uh, and, and we talked about the effects of that kind of like disciplined giving within the heart of Christianity, right? That what that does and how that breaks the power of greed. And we talked about living under spiritual and physical laws, right? We talked about how oftentimes the Bible word for spiritual laws are blessing and cursing, Right? And we talked about how post-enlightenment uh, and pre-enlightenment ways of understanding these things. But I, I don't believe in a God that sits somewhere, this being that's throwing out curses on people because we don't do certain things. But there's a, 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 an established way in which the world exists spiritually and physically. And we can either live in the flow of that love, we can be obedient to those laws, or we cannot. And when we're not, that produces pain. And so this week, what I want to do is unpack one of those spiritual laws. And I want to unpack this law of sowing and reaping. Right? I want to unpack what is this law that we all live under. Right? And so to get the conversation started, I want to ask you a question maybe you never, or you probably thought about, but here's a question for you. Can you think of someone in your life, a, a physical person, who has been an answer to your prayers? A physical person who became an answer to your prayer. Maybe they met a need in your life. 
Maybe you had been praying for uh, an opportunity and they presented an opportunity, whatever it might be. But you can actually think of that person. Like there's this person in your life that you know, like they intervened, they came, they might not even know it, but they were kind of like hands and feet of God in your life. Can you think of a person? I know for us, uh, you all, this church uh, was an answer to our prayer. In 2018, Wendy and I uh, decided that we just felt this nudge that it was time to move forward. We were longing to be uh, serving a church and be in a place where we felt like we could be about a new, a new type of Christian, <laughs> that we could kind of rethink and reframe Christianity together, uh, that we could find a space that not only would be, would, would, would be good for our leadership, that our skills would be helpful towards, and I know that's probably still up for debate, but... But we thought, we really had this sense that we wanted to be at a place to be good for our souls, for our family, to where we could actually live out like this really new, unchartered way of following Jesus. And it was just a few months later that this consultant from the firm that Crossroads was using reached out and we met, started having a conversation. And then it was just a few months later, we visited Loveland for the first time and uh, went to Cooper Smith's and... What's the Blue Moon Brewery? What is it? Uh, what is it called? Bel- New Belgium. Visited New Belgium. Got to meet everybody. And then we were invited to come and do the beauty pageant week. The Canada. Some of you are still here from that. I appreciate that. And, uh, and it's been a joy. 100% every second. But you have been an answer to prayer in our lives. You've been a space where we can create a, a church and be, continue to be a part of a church that's not afraid to not have to know everything, that we can be a, a place of mystery and grace and love, and we can think differently than one another. And so that's been beautiful and wonderful. We got here, and then COVID hit six months, right, after that. And then we had all of these things going on. But it's been, you all have been a answer to our prayer in a lot of ways. Now, there's been a lot of prayers that have flowed out of that prayer, you know, but that's just the truth of it. And we're grateful for that. Our family's grateful for that. And my question, the next question is this, like, can you think of a time where you've been able to be the answer to someone's prayer? Like, you knew it. Like, you knew something was going on in their life. You knew that that there was a need. You knew there was an opportunity. You knew there was some wisdom. Whatever it might be, and you became kind of that angel, right? There's this beautiful passage in the scripture that says, you never know when you're entertaining angels unaware. I don't take that, and this is going to surprise a lot of you, I don't take that super literally, but I take it that sometimes people are in my life and they're functioning in that way. Like they're this angelic presence. They're bringing wisdom. They're bringing grace. They're bringing resources. They're bringing their full selves to, who, uh, to, to a circumstance. And, so they're, and sometimes we get to do that. And have you ever in your own life been that answer to prayer? And if you have been, how did that make you feel? Right? To just hear, like somebody say, you're a godsend. You ever heard that phrase, you're a godsend? Right? That feels really good. And and all of a sudden, that can be contagious, right? When all of a sudden, we get to be an answer to someone's prayer, an answer to someone's need, we can do it anonymously. We can do it to let them know, like, it's our joy. We want to do it. I don't think it always has to be done in secret. But there's something about that that's powerful, that's motivating, that can become addictive. Now, why is that? Because 
mature relationships. This is a little observation I've had. I think it's addicting to be the answer to prayer, to be the, 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 the point of hope and joy in someone's life, because it's a sign of maturity. Because maturing relationships, right? Maturing relationships move towards giving and away from getting, right? When you start in a relationship, let's talk about a couple, like a parent-child relationship, right? Your children, when they're born, all they do is take from you. Just take. That's okay. That's what they're supposed to do, right? Little babies. You feed them, you give them, you provide for everything. But what happens as that relationship matures, right? There's less getting and all of a sudden there's some giving there, right? That's beautiful. You think about your romantic relationships, right? Most of the time, a romantic relationship starts out because you have an attraction to that other person. They make you feel good. You're getting something from that relationship. But a mature relationship is able to transition into recognizing, ooh, this is about mutual submission is the Bible word for it. This is about giving myself to someone, right? Mutually giving. So we grow in that area. And our faith is no different. Right? At some point, like we have to choose what kind of faith we're going to have. Are we going to have a mature faith or an immature faith? Will our faith be grounded in a love of ourselves, like what I can get out of God, what I can get out of our church? Or will it be grounded in a love for others? Right? We have to wrestle with this idea of the divine mystery, the greatest reality in the world, what we call God. If you don't like the word God, use a different word. I don't think God is offended by a different word. I don't think God's that petty, right? But we use this word God to like talk about this ultimate reality, right? This, this would, that which sustains all things. It's called love at times, right? So we have, to, we have to ask the question, is God, this concept of God, this being out there, like that's, that, that's just there and we're just trying to get something from, like they're a boss or a parent, Right? We have these metaphors all throughout the Bible, but is that really, is that the foundational reality for me? That like, God is just a parent, a boss, a rich uncle, Santa Claus, <laughs> and I'm just trying to get something. I'm just trying to get healing. I'm just trying to get my marriage right. I'm just trying to, to become a better parent. I'm just trying to get. Now, those aren't bad things, but the question is, is that what it's grounded in? Or is God a reality that we live in? Is God a reality that we move in, that we live in a flow of? And this reality is love. And this love is, is then lived out in a love for our neighbor, a love for mercy, a love for justice, a love for equality. And does our faith even cause us to be aware? Are we even like attuned to this idea that I can actually be the answer to prayer? I can actually walk this earth with an angelic mindset. Who do I get to answer there? prayer. Who could I answer their prayer today? Oh my gosh, I don't, we get so worried I don't have, but we could do that. Like, are we even thinking that that's maybe what a life lived towards the pleasure of God is all about? A worship-filled life is this life that's not about give and give and give to me, give to me, give to me, but it's about how do I flow out? Like Jesus would say things like rivers of living water flowing out of you, out of you. Right? And, and, and that's where we come to this space of like, what does it mean to have this courageous generosity? Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, is, 2 Corinthians is a letter that we have. Uh, it's attributed to Paul. 
And, and Paul is this really interesting character in the scriptures who had this transformative experience, if you're kind of new to Bible study. And Paul wrote most of the letters that we have in what we call the New Testament. And so a little bit of background to this little letter called 2 Corinthians. Uh, you have to know it comes from, it gets its name because of the town of Corinth. And the town of Corinth was a major city in Greece. It was a seaport, and it was the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. And, and it included Athens. And at the time of Paul's life, this was the most important city in Greece, not Athens. This was the one. And so it's probably why it was one of the first places he went to. And the first place he went to in about the year 50, so say like 17 years after Jesus died, 17 years after Paul had kind of his experience, he founds this very small community of people in Corinth about the year 50. And, and Paul spends one or two years there just kind of investing into this church, establishing it, putting in leaderships, and then he leaves to go start another church. And, and throughout the course of, of Paul's ministry, he would write letters back and forth to these different communities, and we have some of those in there called to this church in Corinth. And what's fascinating about these letters is that they remind us of the difficulties and the conflict within these earliest followers of Jesus. Now think about it. These people lived in the same generation as Jesus. 20 years, not 2,000 years, I guess, 20 years, and they were arguing over stuff. We, well, we got it all figured out. Right? 20 years. And so these communities remind us that, like, they were struggling. They didn't agree with everything with one another. They were trying to figure out what did it mean to follow Jesus? What did it mean to follow his way? And so these letters are these beautiful reflections of the complexity, I think, of following Jesus. And even the kind of strange relationship that Paul had with this community, right? So 2 Corinthians, we call it 2 Corinthians. What you should know is it's probably three letters combined. So most scholars agree that this is a composition, that there's at least three letters within this one letter, uh, and, and it's kind of broken down, like chapters 1 through 7 is one letter, 8 and 9 is one letter, and then 10 through 13 is another letter. And that's important when you study it, to know that these were probably different letters. They were then compiled together by the Corinthians, and it's now what we call 2 Corinthians. And what we want to do is look at a little bit of chapter 9 today. So this kind of little letter that probably went to this Corinthian church. And this segment, chapters 8 and 9, was focused on, drumroll please, giving. <laughs> It was focused on giving because what Paul was doing, Paul was going around to all these Christian communities that he had founded, and he was collecting an offering for the church in Jerusalem, which was impoverished and under hardship, right? And so here's what is Paul saying is he's encouraging the giving. Here's what he says. He says, now I say this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows generously will also reap generously. Y'all ever heard this phrase before? Like, you, you reap what you sow kind of experience, right? Now, Paul is quite literally talking about financial generosity here. Now, the principle, the spiritual principle, though, is it applies to all types of arenas. Now, this word generously here, literally in the Greek, it means with blessings, right? So this idea of the one who sows with blessing will also reap with blessing, right? So you're sowing with the blessings you have in your life. That's what you're using. And you're generously taking those things, right? And so what Paul is saying here is everybody lives under this spiritual law, right? We can, re we can sow generously and we can reap generously. It's going to happen. You can do it with your words, your kind words. You ever notice that? Like people that are kind, you just kind of have to be kind to. 
Like that one person lets you in in the rotary and you're like, oh, dang it, I got to let somebody in now. Right? Like you just, it's, they're just people in your lives that are so loving. They're so filled with kindness and graciousness. You couldn't imagine being mad. Like nobody's ever mad at them. Why? Because they are sowing into the universe kindness and that's what they're reaping. It's a spiritual law. Now, Paul says this in regards to this offering that he's collecting. He says, each one of you must do just as they have decided in their heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. So he's saying each one of you has decided and you've made a commitment. We've t- he's, he's actually says, like, I've told this church that you're doing this. Like, don't make me look bad. That's what he says earlier in this little letter. And he says, so each of you do it, but you do what you put in your heart. You don't do it under compulsion. Now, you've got to remember, these are folks that are probably still participating in Jewish life, you know? They're still participating ancillary with the temple, so they're giving all that stuff to you. But he's saying, this is this opportunity for you. And I love this principle that I think is right here, is that courageous generosity is not manipulated giving, right? You don't give cheerfully when you're manipulated into giving. And that's my prayer in, all, in these two talks that we're having on this topic is that nobody feels any form of manipulation around this idea of being a generous person, of whether that means giving to the church that you love, that you're a part of, whether that means giving to organizations, giving to people, right? So it's never, like courageous generosity is never manipulated giving. And as soon as you feel like you're being manipulated by somebody and not being honest, then man, run away. Absolutely run away. I'll be as honest as I ever am about like our model of church requires that we all give. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, good. I told you last night, I don't work on commission, okay? <laughs> like that's not what this is about. This is about creating healthy church as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And it's also, but it's also about being out there in the scattered world, like living a life that is looking for those opportunities, all right? So now, this is what Paul goes on. He says, moreover, God is able to make every grace abundant for you so that in all things, having always what you need, you may have an abundance for every good work. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, listen, God's grace is poured into your life so that you'll always have what you need. But here's the deal. You're going to have more than what you need. You're going to have an abundance. And that abundance is a divine investment. So he's saying, your personal abundance is a divine investment. Like, and here's the thing, we have to read this, not, uh, we have to understand, like, who's Paul writing to? Paul's not writing to people with financial resources like we have. Like, Paul is writing to some of the poorest people, right? And some, some would have a measure of, of, of financial resources. But when Paul says, you have what you need, Beyond that is abundance. And in the abundance, that's a divine investment. How are you going to invest it? What's the return you're going to get on it? Will it be invested into yourselves or will it be invested into what God is doing in the world? Righteousness is what the word that Paul's going to use there in just a second. And so what we have to understand, I think, is that when we have more than what we need, as a follower of Jesus, we ought to see that as an opportunity to do good works with. Now, that doesn't mean you, like, if you need one car and you have two or three, or if you need one house and you have two houses, that somehow you're a terrible person. That's not what it's saying. But do we leverage those things as opportunities to do good works? There's a family that had a house in Redfeather. I was homeless for a month. They said, go use the house. That's doing a good work as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right? So don't get that, like, oh, this is like a vow of poverty. Like, you should only have. No. 
I think we have plenty of wisdom in the scripture that says a huge part of what life is about is enjoying life, enjoying the fruit of your labor. But in our enjoyment of the fruit of our labor, are we seeing it as an opportunity to do good works? Sometimes that good works is giving things away. Sometimes that good work is paying somebody's bill. Sometimes that good work is just leveraging the good things that you have in your life to be a joy for other people. But I think as a follower of Jesus, what we're getting here from Scripture is, it's the way in which we see that abundance. Is it just mine to do with whatever I want, or do I actually live under the submission of love? Do I look around me? And so this is what Paul says. He says, as it's written, he's quoting now, he says, he, God, scatters abroad and gives to the poor. God's righteousness endures forever. So what Paul is saying is that God has always been and will always be generous and faithful to the poor and the oppressed. And oppressed is spelled with two Ps, not one. That's on me, totally on me, my apologies. My bad. But like what Paul's saying is, listen, this is what God has done, this is God's work. Whenever you see generosity to the poor and oppressed, whenever you see that kind of giving, whenever you see justice being established, right? Equity being established, equality, like that's the work of God. God's always been doing that and that's what you get to be. And you gotta remember this righteousness, right? Is not, I do not believe for a second that Paul's talking about moral righteousness with a code of law, right? to the temple. He's talking, the word righteousness, he's talking about justice. God's vision for the world where everybody has enough, where everybody has their needs met. And so the righteousness is this continual establishing of the justice of God, right? It's acting to restore justice. And so Paul says this, he says, the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Like, the harvest of your righteousness comes, the harvest of your justice, the harvest of you creating and making a more equitable world comes as you sow that abundance that's in your life into spaces where there's lack. And Paul knew this principle that there was no season of harvest without a season of sowing. You can't have that harvest of righteousness until you sow the seed into the space of pain, into the space of lack. Now, this is not, oh, please, I gotta say this. This is not like crazy televangelists. Sow the seed of faith and then you'll get healing. That's garbage. It's snake oil. It's abusive spirituality. What, what Paul's actually saying is you sow your resources into spaces that produce healing in others. <laughs> That's the whole point. It's not about you. You sow into these spaces. You give and you're creating, right? And that's what it's. What is the real harvest? The harvest of the seed that's sown is not, oh, then your marriage will be healed. Then your children will love you again. Then your cancer will go away. That's nonsense. It's evil. It's antichrist. The real fruit of generosity, the real harvest is a more just world. That's when you know you're sowing into the right field when there's more equity, when there's more hope, when the world is beginning to look more like the kingdom of heaven on earth, right? And so Paul says it this way, you're being enriched in every way. Why? For all generosity. This is like written for America. <laughs> this is written for like the West. It's amazing, right? That you have been enriched. Why? For all generosity. This is that kind of blessed life that we talked about last week. 
the enrichment of our lives, the resources, when we go above and beyond what we have need of, like Paul's saying, listen, for the follower of Jesus, this is for all generosity, which through us produces what? Thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this public service, in other words, the offering that he's receiving, this, this offering is not only supporting the needs of the holy ones in Jerusalem, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. What is Paul saying here? Paul's saying, listen, when we're generous, all of a sudden people see God. And they start going th- saying things like, I can't believe it. Thank God. Because here's the thing. Generosity is the hand of love in this world. Right? If, if God is love, we could say it, generosity is the hand of God in this world. But wherever you see generosity being sown into need, into poverty, into oppression, wherever you see spaces of inclusion being created, wherever you see that happening, that's the hand of God. And people might not even know it. I've had people be answered to prayers in my life that are atheists. I've had people be answered to prayers in my life that are agnostic. I've had people be answered to prayers in my life that are Muslim. I have people answer, okay, but that's God at work through our generosity. Do you know there's like no like Christian way to meet a need? You just meet the need, <laughs> right? That's the beauty of it. And what Paul's saying is this is what happens and people start thanking God. That's another key fruit of generosity is you start to see the divine in the world these little miracles that take place. And he says, through the evidence of this service, so the evidence of the offering, like what it's going to produce, you are glorifying God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ. And what is the gospel of Christ, right? The gospel of Christ, Jesus, he said this, I've, I've come to bring good news, that's the word gospel, to who? The poor. Good news to the poor. Freedom for the captive. Recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's the gospel according to Jesus. That's the work of following Jesus. And that's where this like sowing the seed of generosity flows into, right? And here's what Paul says. Paul says that these people, right, these, this church in Jerusalem, they're praying on your behalf for they long for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. What does that mean? It means that the people in the church of Jerusalem, they're praying for their needs. Like they're oppressed, they're poor, they're impoverished, they're struggling, and they're praying. And they're saying, we need people like the Corinthians. They might not even know it, but they're saying, we need people like them because the surpassing grace of God in their life upon you, like the, the measure with which they've been blessed, we need them. So Paul believes that the Corinthians can be the answer to prayer right? The church in Jerusalem is praying for help, praying in the midst of their need, praying in the midst of their pain. And Paul is saying to this church in Corinthians, they're praying for you. Not praying for you in the sense of, oh, I must pray for the Corinthians that God you would do. No, they're praying for help. And that help is you. And here's how Paul finishes. This is so amazing, right? Get a hold of this. Thanks be to God for his incredible gift. Thanks be to God for God's incredible gift. Now, put it all together, right? What's the incredible gift? I don't think what Paul is saying here is that the incredible gift is Jesus. I think that's separated in the text. What Paul is saying here is the Corinthians are the gift. The Corinthians are the gift. Like, they're the answer to prayer. You are the incredible gift. And so here's what we shouldn't miss. Courageous generosity makes you an incredible gift 
from God to this world. We want to be a church that is an incredible gift from God to this world. We have to be courageously generous. That's why we give money away even when we don't have it. <laughs> even when it's like, oh, it'd be really good to hang on to that, pay some payroll. Be really good to maybe get some new lights. Be really good to just, no, no, we're going to we're gonna go and we're going to give outside of ourselves. We just did our Partners in Hope Gala to raise money for our Partners in Hope strategy, which the idea is to raise a bunch of money and give it away. In 10 years, we want to be giving away $1 million every year to, to partner organizations. Now, many people would look at the finances of our church and say, that is the dumbest thing to ever do right now. Do you realize where you are in budget compared to giving? Do you realize the expenses? Why in the world? Because I believe that this is what it is about. That if we're just consumers, forget it. That's not what it is. We got to give. We got to invest outside of ourselves because we can be an answer to prayer. So what are people praying for? Here's things that I just personally believe people are praying for. And you could disagree with me. It's fine. But I have the microphone. <laughs> I think people are praying for a church like Crossroads, and they don't know it. I think that there are people who are hurting, who've been excluded, who have significant trauma, but have never given up on God. But they've given up on the idea that I could be a part of a worshiping community that will accept me for who I am, that will love me, that won't, won't use the Bible to manipulate or control me. Help me find wisdom for my everyday normal life. I, I believe that deeply. I believe we're like one of the best kept secrets in Northern Colorado. In the world, like I just, I know it. I've talked with people. I get, I get to meet people that show up here and I hear this story just emerging all the time. I never knew there would be a church I could ever belong to again, that I could ever be a part of. That would give me the space to heal, that would give me the space to, to speak out against the pain that I've experienced. I never knew that. A church that's centered on Jesus and marked by creativity and wisdom and inclusion and fun, like when the keyboard drops, nobody's freaking out. It just is what it is. Like we're not a perfect place. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We take what we do very seriously, but come on, what are you going to do? The keyboard falls, it ruins the moment. You're like, oh, whatever. We're fun, and we want to be a generous place. People are praying for that. People are praying for a path out of the five unacceptables. They are desperately all over the world praying for a path out of poverty, out of slavery, out of illiteracy, out of the pain of bigotry, and out of spiritual emptiness. I believe people are praying for that all over the world. They might not know they're praying, but they're in the middle of it, and they're saying, make it stop. Where can I get out of this? How do I need resources? And that's why we have this beautiful strategy of Partners in Hope. And I also think that parents and caregivers of children, I think that they're praying for something really powerful too. I think that they're praying for a place where their children can experience a faith that matures with them. So that as children start in their journey of faith, the way in which they learn and talk about their faith and the Bible, that it changes as they mature so that by the time they graduate from high school, they actually have a faith that's grounded in wisdom, that is complex, that isn't grounded in like this, this like bifurcation of like it all has to be 100% historically accurate or the Bible's useless, right? That, like that kind of, no, it's like, no, there's wisdom in here. 
and, and we can grow and, and learn to read the Bible like adults and not have to walk away from it all. When somebody says there's no historical evidence, we have no archaeological evidence for an exodus that ever took place like what we see in the Bible. And you go, okay, fine. That's not the point of it. What does it mean? Right? We, we bring our children along these ways so that they're not shocked to actually one day have to like, realize that our Christian scripture justifies genocide in the name of God. We have to talk about that stuff. And we need to grow our children in their faith so that they're not afraid to say, nope, that's not a representation of God because Jesus reveals it. And just like they got things wrong, we get things wrong, but Jesus is always present helping us with the Spirit. I think people want that. I think parents want that. And so that's why in your everyday normal life, I'm asking everybody who's listening, who's tuning in to commit to cheerfully and intentionally give to now, need, and next. This is my pattern, our family's pattern of giving. So I'm asking you to follow me as I follow Christ. That sounds bold, doesn't it? Like, I thought only Paul could say that. I think Paul was a normal dude like you and me. So, like, I just feel like if Paul can say it, I can say it too. That's what I'm asking our church to do. And so here's what this looks like. Now, that's that general fund giving. That's that tithing of 10%. That's what our family brings to fund what we're doing right now. The good work, the building, the lawn mowing, the sprinklers the camps, all that good stuff that's going on. That's what I want to encourage you to do. Follow me as I follow. And now, second thing is we give to need. So I want to encourage you to, just like Paul was talking to the Corinthians, set aside a portion and give to partners in hope. This is giving from abundance, right? This is the, the measure with which you've been blessed, you bless others. But do it intentionally, and so that's why we have our Partners in Hope strategy. You know, about 30 families came together a couple months ago, and they created what was called a matching fund. And we thought when we started this, Dennis and Wendy, Wendy's not in here, we started, when we cast the vision for this, we said, wouldn't it be amazing if we had $25,000 in the matching fund, and then we raised $25,000 to unlock that for $50,000? These families came together. They gave $70,000 to the matching fund. We raised $38,000 in the gala, which means there's like 30, if I do the math right, somewhere around $35,000 that needs to be unlocked through our generosity. And so when you say, I'm going to give every month to Partners in Hope, you're saying, I'm going to give to organizations that are fighting and rewriting the five unacceptables that have shared values with our church, and we're giving it away. Now, we, yep, we have money, it costs money to raise money, and we have, to, we have all those expenses in there, but that's the joy of it. And so we give to need. Where is their need in our local community? Where is their need around the world? Where are their organizations helping to meet those needs? We give to there. And then finally, we give to next. That's our worth it. Every year, we do like a year-end giving campaign, the worth it. And it kind of carries through the year. Because some people are like our family, like we just kind of give every month to these things, right? We give every month to these things. So we give to what's next. Like what is God calling us to do as a church that doesn't exist right now as a ministry of our church, but could. So like our early learning center is moving right now and is growing. And it's because of our generous giving. The camp has started. These things are costing money right now. There's no, like they're in the red, but we're able to sow seeds and start doing this great work because of that generosity. And we move forward in the middle of it. And so it accelerates us. So that's what I want to encourage you to do. And there's one last thing I want to encourage you to do is to pray this prayer every day for 30 days. 
Will you pray this prayer every day for 30 days? God, show me how to use my financial abundance to answer someone's prayer and produce thanksgiving to you. Every day pray that prayer, or some form of it. I'm not a legalistic person, whatever. Just, God, open my eyes to how I can use my financial resource to meet someone's need. Maybe you had a bad experience with church and everything I just said about giving to now, need, and next, you're like, nope, I'm not doing that. Okay, fair enough, totally get it. I hope that Crossroads, you, you can learn that Crossroads is a place of transparency financially, that it's a safe place to give, that, that we love what we're doing here, and you'll eventually give with a cheer of heart. But for now, just say, this is where I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do that. And what happens is this, when we give to now, need, and next, when we look for those opportunities as a corporate church, we're going to create a healthy church. We're going to create a healthy church that has the resources to do good stuff, to answer prayers in this community. That's powerful. And you know what else is amazing? When we as individuals go out and we look for those opportunities, courageous generosity creates a thankful world. A thankful world, a world that says, man, there is a God because a prayer was answered. But that happens as we sow generously. So what's God inviting you into today? Well, there's one, there's one thing. If you'll pull out your communication card or connect card, excuse me, pull out your connect card in that giving envelope. We're going to receive our offering during this song, which is a song of thanksgiving. One of the next steps is to go on a courageous generosity kind of journey this summer. So some of you checked that box last week. And, and this week, I want to encourage you to check the box. And here's what's going to happen. All throughout this week, a couple of times a week, maybe once a week, maybe twice a week, I don't know, maybe every day, who knows. Um, I'm going to just create a little video about generosity. And I'm going to be pulling things from this book called I Like Giving, which is a really cool book. It's got stories in it. And it's talking about a generous life in ways more than not just financially. But I want to encourage you to read I Like Giving. We have about 25 copies back at the Welcome Center. If you want to pick up a copy, if you're here in the room, you can get it drop shipped from Amazon if you want to participate. It's called I Like Giving. If you check that box, you'll get an email whenever, we make, whenever I make a little video with just an encouragement in giving. And I want to hear your stories of generosity as part of this. I want to hear where you're experiencing God. Because I do believe the principle that I talked about last week of Malachi 6, 8 that says, test me in this and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you won't have room for it. I actually do believe that there's wisdom and truth behind that. That we start to see the world differently. That we start to experience God differently. So we're going to sing this song. We're going to receive our offering. Our room hosts are going to come receive the baskets, pass the baskets on the side. If you're in the bleachers, uh, I'm going to encourage you on your way out. You can use those orange giving kiosks as we sing this song of thankfulness called The Goodness of God. And then I'll be back for our blessing. series campfire stories it's gonna be great invite somebody come out i promise you you'll probably we'll talk about these stories in a way maybe you've never thought about before uh, and we'll seek some wisdom from some pretty crazy stories uh, and find out their meaning for our lives today it's gonna be good and our students our kids our preschoolers are all gonna be talking about the same story as well all right so if you're comfortable if you would open up your heart open up your arms to receive our weekly blessing as we head out this week may god put in us giving hearts and as your ears begin to open to the prayers around you may your hands begin to open also and may you find joy in knowing that your generous hands are divine hands and may you be desperate 
desperate for opportunities to give. May you be desperate to give from your abundance into the needs of others. And may our church, Crossroads Church, be financially healthy through all of our courageous generosity. And may we be a generous church that cares for the widows and orphans of our day. And may we give to organizations working to rewrite the five unacceptables that we believe are breaking peace in this world. And may we have the financial resources needed to creatively and wisely bring the hope of Jesus to our world. And may this church, may every heart be filled with thankfulness and open hands. And may each of our lives be marked by this courageous generosity. And may our good works produce peace on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tolerating giving talk for two weeks. Have a great week. If you're here and going to stick around, we'd love to see you. If you're kind of new over at the Connect with Crossroads, Rod is back here with the tables. I'd love to meet you and just share a little bit more. Have a great week, everybody.